1: I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial, our co-host, is on special assignment today, so we are delighted to welcome Tina Smith. She's manager of caregiver program operations for the Caregiver SOS Program through the Wellmed Charitable Foundation. Has a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in social gerontology. Tina's worked with seniors and caregivers for over 25 years within the long-term care industry in San Antonio, and she served as an adjunct professor with. Kaplan University. Tina's been with the Caregiver SOS program for almost two years, and Tina, it is a delight to co-host this show with you.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: What attracted you, and we talked a little bit about this last Mm -hmm. week, uh, working in, in the field of gerontology? Because there are not a lot of people who pick that Uh, as something to work
2: on. In all honesty, when doing my undergraduate work, I didn't pick it either. It kind of found me, in all honesty. I got a job as an activity assistant in a nursing home, and that's what set my course. It's uh, uh, just getting to know the residents and and learning a little bit about them and learning about the issues related to the senior population, and it's such a growing population that there's a lot to to work on.
1: And in your work, did you work with folks uh, who have – Or had dementia?
2: Oh, definitely, most definitely. And you'll find in in long term care, and it's been this way for quite some time, you'll find a a large percentage of the residents do have some form of dementia.
1: Well, I asked because our special guest who is on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline is joining us, Christine Williams. Uh, We'll talk about her recent study about communication in couples affected by dementia. Uh, She is a registered nurse, has a doctorate in nursing science and also uh, added degrees in psychiatric medical health. She's a professor and director, uh, Ph.D. in nursing program at Florida Atlantic University, and we're delighted to have her with us uh, today on our Caregiver SOS on-air program. Uh, Christine, thanks for joining us. And Dr. Williams, I, I guess I'd like to start with the same kind of question I asked uh, Tina, which is what got you into this field, uh, especially looking at uh, people with dementia?
3: Well, thank you for inviting me. And I also did not start out with uh, caring for or learning about people of older age, but in nursing, we became more and more aware that there were many, many more older people and that we weren't really prepared to take care of them or to teach students about how to take care of them. So we made some efforts to get funding to enhance our programs and um, to build in more information about the older adult. And since my background is in psychiatric nursing, dementia was not a foreign idea to me. And so I was attracted to that area, and here I am today.
1: And one of the things that uh, you've looked at, uh, and it is fascinating to me, uh, is communication within couples, Uh, where one may have dementia, because communication with couples where there is no dementia is often very complicated.
3: Yes, yes. Every marriage is different, and of course, if one person develops Alzheimer's disease or dementia, because Alzheimer's disease is, most dementia is Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, having a disease like that that affects your ability to to speak and to understand language makes it just that much more difficult for couples to maintain their relationship.
1: And the challenges uh, in a couple uh, where there's dementia, uh, looking in from the outside, must be enormous.
3: It is. Uh, it's, the caregivers begin to feel cut off and lonely and We can only imagine how the person with dementia feels that, you know, it must be very frightening to lose your ability to relate to the person that you depend on for support and for just so much in your day-to-day life. For many people, their spouse is the center of their world.
2: It's tough. It is definitely tough with all the the different different aspects of, of dementia. So how do you or what do you tell the caregivers that you're working with?
3: well i started noticing that um caregivers were trying very hard you know to help the person help their spouse and to try to communicate with their spouse but they were making a lot of mistakes that we with as beginners we try to teach beginner nurses not to make and i realized that they don't have any of this knowledge so for example talking nonstop and not giving the person even a chance to break into the conversation. And with the person with dementia, it takes them a little bit longer to understand the question and then to come up with an answer and, you know, give the answer. So the caregiver has to pause more and they have to slow down more. So that was one, one thing that um, I noticed. And another is that Caregivers desperately want to share their relationship, their memories, um, all the things that they know in common are so important. And so sometimes they start grilling the person with dementia on, do you remember this? And what's the name of your children? And what are the names of your grandchildren? And of course, if you're having memory problems, that isn't helpful. It's, you know, threatening. And so... uh, both end up feeling bad because maybe the person can't remember the name of their grandchildren. So I think that's another thing that is just not helpful. Um, So there are a number of things like that, and I developed it into a 10-week intervention to um, meet with the couples in their homes once a week for 10 weeks and teaching them how to handle different you know, different problems that would come up with communication, and even if they hadn't experienced them yet, and at the same time, I was asking them to record a 10-minute conversation, so they would talk to each other, and I had a video recorder going, and I would leave the room. They could talk about any topic they wanted, and they would try to use the new communication strategies that they were learning. But at any rate, I was looking for changes over the 10 weeks, and that's how I analyzed uh, the conversations and found the results that I did.
2: Were you working with, with persons with dementia? Were they in the early stages of dementia, or were they varying different, different stages? They
3: were in different stages, but mostly um, middle stage. So early to middle stage. And, of course, when someone is in the late stages, they may be in bed. They may not um, be able to communicate at all. So that's a little too late to start this. The earlier the better, I think, to work with people to help them to understand how to keep that connection with their spouse.
1: Stay with us just a minute. I want to remind folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air Uh, 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Tina Smith, and we're talking with Dr. Christine Williams, a nurse who is also a professor at Florida Atlantic University, talking about her work in communications among couples, uh, one of whom may have dementia. I I also noticed that uh, one of the issues that uh, you have an interest in, Christine, uh, is the cultural uh, bar to Seeking, for example, a screening for memory problems?
3: Yes. uh, We don't, most people do not um, understand even what the early signs of memory problems are or dementia. Better stated, the early signs of Alzheimer's disease long before it gets to dementia. And so they don't seek help and, um, as a result, you know, the treatment that we have available is delayed. And, for instance, the medications that we have available work best when used in the very early stages of the disease and don't work so well in the later stages. So the earlier the person recognizes the problem and starts to get treatment, the better. So in order to get people to get this early treatment, they have to... Um, Understand the importance of getting some kind of screening, cognitive screening, and to be open to um, to going and seeking that. For instance, we get you know we do screening for mammograms, and people have figured out by now that you know that's something you ought to do regularly. So for older people, they need to be screened um, for cognitive problems too. And what as does that they get older.
1: what does that screening involve?
3: There's some very simple um, screening measures available that take only a few minutes, and one of them might be um, asking the person um, to remember three words and then go on with the conversation and later on come back and say, well, what were those three words? And that's a very good screening method. And there's another one where you would ask the person to draw a clock and put in the numbers and the hands you know, at a, indicating a specific time to see if they can do that because even those skills um, are deteriorate when a person even has early stages of Alzheimer's disease.
1: Now, what is the challenge so this, with, uh, I've often wondered because I've heard that as part of a memory screening test, what's the challenge in drawing a clock and putting the hands in?
3: Well, it's really how the brain works and um, Alzheimer's disease is affecting the health of the brain cells, and so it becomes more difficult to translate what is in your mind to what you're expressing on paper. Even though you're using your writing skills, it's still another form of expression.
2: Would you recommend the caregivers do these, these screening tools themselves, or would, should they go to the doctor?
3: I think they need to have a professional do it because they wouldn't know how to interpret the results.
2: Yeah, there's a a lot of questions, I know, on some of those screening tools, and I guess it can get pretty pretty confusing at times. So you would recommend going to the doctor first if they have any concerns?
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: And
2: even
3: if they, you know, just when we have our regular physical exams, just to check up, you know, it doesn't take very long to have, someone remember three words and then later on in the um, checkup to ask them again. And what that's going to do is it's just going to tell the provider that this person probably needs some further testing. It doesn't mean they necessarily have Alzheimer's disease, but it means they need to refer them to someone who can look into it a little bit more.
1: I was thinking because in baseball, if you get one out of three, you bat 300, you go into the Hall of Fame. But on a memory test, <laughs> uh, it's not quite the same, right?
3: No. <laughs>
1: All right, now stick with us. Sh- yeah,
3: <laughs> we should be able to keep three words in mind.
1: <laughs> Thank you. We'll come right back to you in just a moment. I'm Ron Aaron along with Tina Smith, who is filling in for Carol Zernial today on WellMed, uh, on Caregiver SOS on air. And we're talking with Christine Williams, as uh, we have heard, Dr. Williams talking about communication among those with dementia. And we will continue the conversation right here on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to Well Med Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
4: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And
1: it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
4: Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office. And I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
1: Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer. Be There. And remember, if you're listening to Well Med Radio on 930 AM, The Answer, this program, Caregiver SOS On Air, follows immediately after that show, so you can get two hours of information on health and wellness and caregiving uh, for seniors and others. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Tina Smith, who is filling in today uh, for Carol Zerniel. Uh, We're also talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Dr. Christine Williams, who is a a registered nurse, a Ph.D. equivalent uh, in nursing, and we're talking about uh, not only some of the courses she teaches but some of the information she's developed. Uh, And one of the things I heard you say, Dr. Williams, uh, ideally uh, if you can get a sense of whether someone is struggling with uh, Alzheimer's very early on, uh, treatment can be uh, more effective with, with the limited numbers of medications we have today. Uh, I keep hearing about more and more tests, uh, including a saliva test, uh, that may show uh, early-onset dementia before there's any other sign you have it.
3: It is true that there are tests being developed that are not readily available, and in the future, probably not too long in the future, we will be able to go and have a physical exam and find out what's going on in our brains and if there's any pathology there even though we're not experiencing any symptoms whatsoever which is a little scary but at the same time it's the best thing that could happen because as with any other disease if you catch it early then you're going to have much better chances of treating it and um, doing whatever can be done to um, minimize any of the problems
1: because at the moment we don't have the magic bullet do we
3: no we don't we know that lifestyle is also part of it and that anything that you would do to keep healthy in terms of your health your your heart health with diet and exercise and no smoking and so on are the same things you do to keep your brain healthy so we know all the things that really need to be done but it's a wake-up call for people if they were able to find out very, very early that the brain was um, also suffering as a result of lifestyle to change your lifestyle and give yourself the best possible chance.
2: So what kind of things, besides the, when I mean, we know about diet and nutrition and, and exercise, so what other kind of things should we be doing?
3: Well, having a variety of Stimulation in our lives. Having good relationships is one. Having uh, hobbies and learning new things and um, being engaged with life are also things that are very important.
1: How about reading? So,
3: reading is very helpful. Yes, people who read actually, from studies, have shown that uh, they seem to be at less risk for. Having cognitive impairment,
1: I read about two books a week, so I'm feeling good. Thank you.
3: <laughs> good for you. <laughs> well,
1: thank you very much. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Uh, and,
2: and but I
3: should I, I have to mention huh. in there that you know the reality is genetics does play a part, and just but just because your family members may have had Alzheimer's disease or dementia it doesn't mean that you will get it. Because environment makes a difference too but that's another area for research that we have to figure out is the genetics part of it
1: So we haven't found a genetic link yet
3: Well they know pretty close where the problems are but still can't do anything about that.
1: I eat a lot of broccoli does that help? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Probably, <laughs>
1: <laughs> really, I, I just absolutely overdose on, uh, on broccoli. On so, broccoli. So, Tina, as you hear all this, uh, what what comes to mind for you?
2: Well, just you know, again, getting back to the the persons with dementia and the couple and the relationship, because it can be. I, I've talked to so many uh, caregivers that feel like um, I guess the the term "hidden widow." They feel that they can't communicate yes. with their uh, their husband anymore, and so they don't, and, and that communication isn't isn't there. So I'm, I'm curious. One thing I'm curious about when you did the the studies and when you've done the classes is the person with dementia. How how receptive are they to to what's going on? Are they are they following along the curriculum that you've provided?
3: Well, I. You know, I want to also say that I want to share the things, the communication strategies for the caregiver Mm -hmm. that I found were helpful. But for the person who is responding, absolutely. In fact, in the study that I did, there was definite improvement in the people with dementia over the 10 weeks in that they became more engaged, more responsive, more sociable, so that it may be eye contact, um, you know, saying more, using more words, mm-hmm. trying harder, um, smiles, all of those kinds of things to show that they're responding. But it depends on the stage that the person is in.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But all of them, as a group, they they did improve.
2: And so you mentioned just some strategies that you, uh, you found helpful yes. for caregivers. What would those be?
3: Right. Yes, because I had talked before about a couple of things that were not helpful. So what would be better would be um, sharing, for instance, about the news of the day. So in, in the morning to let your spouse know, um, today we're going to be uh, whatever the daily agenda is. You know, you're going to be going to a movie or you're going shopping or um, someone is coming to visit. So that the person is still hearing about what is happening, has some idea, they may still forget and need to be reminded, but in the moment that person is having a chance to be engaged in life. So the idea of instead of grilling the person about what they do or don't remember, instead offer offer information like sharing news about the day and sharing news maybe about relatives um, friends how they're doing. Another um, tip I think is very important is to use what I call expect, expectant waiting, meaning that they create an environment where the person with dementia will have a chance to engage in conversation and communicate by sitting down with them, not having other distractions, not having another, another agenda and just being open to the person with dementia to give them a chance to talk about maybe what they want to talk about. And so setting aside that time and being receptive, will um, they will be more likely, you know, to to converse. I've heard some very interesting stories from people with dementia that may have been in the distant past, But very interesting stories, and they're just waiting for a chance sometimes to share them.
1: Share some of those with Um, us.
3: Well, for example, one person told me about his, uh, some really incredible stories about his war experience. He had been a fighter pilot, and about one particular mission where he had been shot at, and, you know, the cold was coming in from the outside, and he felt like he was getting frostbite, and just the drama the whole story, and how he made it home safely, and so forth. I was just amazed that he was able to um, tell me all of that, and I asked his wife if he she had heard the story, and she said no, and so I made a CD of that conversation because I had recorded it and shared it with her so she could share it with her children and so forth and and so there sometimes, you know, there are those moments of clarity where given a chance the person with dementia will say more than you're expecting.
1: Did you think the story uh, did you think the story was true?
3: You know, it was a lot of detail. So if he was um making it up he'd be you know, really talented.
1: They <laughs> should be <laughs> writing books, right?
3: Right, right, right. And, you know, even if someone were fabricating or adding to the story, it's not going to hurt anything. I mean, this is good practice for the person. They're using their brain. They're, you know, thinking and and creating a story, if they were creating it. And that's not bad either.
1: Talk to us a little bit about uh, the brain, and we'll pick this up in, in just a moment or two about Uh, where memories reside, because we hear, uh, as you were describing in this experience over and over again, that some folks with dementia can remember clear as a bell things that happened a very long time ago, that music uh, has a a great connection to people with uh, Alzheimer's. I I want to explore that in a couple of moments. We're talking with Dr. Christine Williams, who teaches at uh, Florida Atlantic University. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith. You hear us on Caregiver SOS on air, at nine thirty a.m. The answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to Well Med Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host Cora Juke is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
4: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
1: And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
4: Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
1: Nurse Practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer, Be There. We continue our conversation with Dr. Christine Williams. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host today, Tina Smith, who is filling in for Carol Zernial. Tina has a master's in gerontology and has spent a whole lot of years working with seniors. We're talking with Christine Williams about uh, folks who may have dementia and uh, generally Alzheimer's and the work that she's doing to further communication uh, between those folks uh, and their Spouses and uh, other relatives. And one of the things I'm curious about, Dr. Williams, and I know there's been a lot of research on this, is where do memories reside? Why can someone uh, with Alzheimer's remember things that happened decades and decades ago, but not what happened 20 minutes ago?
3: Well, what happened 20 minutes ago requires forming new memories. So, the part of the brain that's involved in this is the hippocampus. And what they're having difficulty with is not the old memories that have already been stored away. They're there. They're fine. But creating new memories, storing new memories. So creating those new memories is where the challenge comes in, and they're having difficulty with that. And of course, the person with dementia is losing connections, too, in their brain. So it's takes longer for them to pull up a memory or they have difficulty doing it. Uh, And that's why you see unevenness, too. Some days the person may seem to remember more than other days. Um, But that's what's basically going on, and the more severe the disease gets, the more difficult it is for them to form new memories. So they may forget what they just ate for breakfast five minutes ago, or they may ask same question over and over. When are we going? When are we going? And these things can be so annoying to the caregiver, but they honestly can't remember because they weren't able to get a hold of that information when it was first given and stored away.
1: Now, that's a pretty common uh, observation by caregivers, the repetition. Do you have a recommendation on, on how to deal with it? Because it can be annoying. Don't I have a doctor's appointment. What time is it? What time is it? Uh, How how do you recommend dealing with that?
3: It's difficult. There's no question about it. Um, But I think that the the way to deal with it to minimize stress on yourself as a caregiver is to, you know, not become upset. You know, so it's not, you know, this is not easy to do. But to remind yourself that it's easier to say, 10 o'clock, if you're asked, what time are we leaving? It's easier to say 10 o'clock again for the third, fourth, fifth time, whatever, than it is to say, why do you keep asking me this all the time? I just told you uh, five minutes ago what time we were leaving. I don't understand it. You're driving me crazy. You see what I'm saying? All that takes a higher toll on the caregiver and is... Exhausting because they're engaging with the the negative uh, instead of just saying ten o'clock.
2: I uh, I was looking, I was reading a little bit about your your study and your your uh, course that you teach, and you talk about I think verbal and nonverbal. So, what kind of nonverbal uh, t- tips do you have? You know, how to communicate nonverbal communication tips? Do you have for your caregivers? Well,
3: I think making eye contact, the things that we know work in any relationship, but that the caregiver sometimes neglects because they begin to think about their spouse as not the person I married, not a person, uh, and so forth. And they kind of, you know, forget all the basic rules of communication that we do. We, we look at the person, we look at them in the eye, we sit down, we talk to someone... We smile, and we are willing to be patient and wait and, you know, be warm and compassionate and loving. All of those things, I think, um, are some of the nonverbal things a caregiver can do that will help.
1: Now, do folks with dementia, uh, I know for a period of time they must know they have dementia?
3: Some do, some don't. Many, many do. I'm not sure exactly what the proportion is, but there are some people who, who, right from the beginning, just don't recognize it and never do.
2: You mentioned that Alzheimer's obviously is one of the, the most prevalent uh, types of dementia, but there are a lot of other types of dementia as well. Do you have different communication techniques depending on the type of dementia, or do you find that it's um, pretty much the same for all types of dementia?
3: I think it's pretty much the same for all types of dementia, that uh, they are all losing that ability to um, hold a conversation and to talk. And there are some cases where people are more verbal, although their, their dementia is advancing, but sometimes what they're saying is not as meaningful. But in general, I think the same approaches work.
1: As you think about uh, our aging society and odds that more and more folks will be diagnosed with dementia, uh, do you think we'll reach a point where, uh, I'm assuming this is needed, more dollars will be devoted to research?
3: Well, they are. we are getting more dollars devoted to research. This year, a lot more money has been set aside at the National Institutes of Health to study Alzheimer's disease. But I don't know, still how many years it's going to take for us to develop a cure, and I think we have to do a lot more in learning to live with it in the meantime.
1: Now, is cure really well, what we're looking for? Because I know initially, and I'm old enough uh, to remember this, I'm 76, and uh, when folks talked about cancer 40, 50 years ago, uh, they talked about a cure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they yes. began to discover there are a whole lot of different cancers. So there's no one right. cure.
3: Right. I suspect we'll find the same thing with dementia. The more we know, the more complicated it will be.
1: Is that frustrating to you?
3: No, it's not surprising to me because human beings are extremely complex. And so it's it's not surprising.
2: I know with with research there often you see those clinical studies Um, what can you tell tell us a little bit about all the different clinical studies that you see out there and whether people should participate and how they can participate
3: right the clinical trials uh, that are being done you know they offer an opportunity for people to get some help that they might not have been able to get otherwise however there are often very strict um, criteria about who can participate. So, if their loved one has another disease, like diabetes, for instance, they may not be accepted into the studies. And so, they're really stringent criteria. And then, if they're accepted into the study, there will always be one group who gets the active ingredients, whatever the therapy or medication is, and there'll be a comparison group that doesn't get it. And so they could end up in the comparison group. And another possibility is that there may be many side effects to whatever the new treatment is that they are trying out. So there's an upside and a downside, and I've I've definitely met couples that have said that they've been in a study and it has really helped them.
1: And some who um, haven't been helped.
3: And some, right, where it has not helped, oh. and it may have even made them sicker, you know, as far as maybe um, GI upset, you know, upset stomach right. or headaches or something else that may go along with it.
1: Now we've got a, a few minutes left, and before we reach the end of this program, uh, Dr. Christine Williams, what is it you enjoy about the work you're doing and, and what – Get you out of bed every morning.
3: <laughs> well, I enjoy very much, um, you know, working with couples. Um, I had parents that had a very, very loving marriage, long time, and my mother developed Alzheimer's disease. So it's really a motivator, I think. To um, maybe has something to do with my passion about this. To help couples that are close and loving to maintain as much of that as possible and at least to not get in their own way you know and making it more difficult for themselves so that's really i think a big driving force is helping people to keep those relationships to the extent that they can
2: well really just being able to continue to communicate is almost a stress management tool I i can see it being very helpful in helping the caregiver Manage some of that stress because a lot of that frustration that we see when working with caregivers is not being able to communicate or the repetition, and you know, a lot of the things that go along with that. So, I imagine exactly. this really helps.
3: And having realistic expectations is another right. thing that mm-hmm. you know that was part of teaching the program. For instance, I had a, a woman who um, her husband had Alzheimer's, and she would sit, she said to me, I tell you know, put lunch on the table, I invite him to come to the table, and he just ignores me. And she said, he's always been like this, he's always ignored me. And I had, I was able to explain to her that she needed to go over and take him by the hand and bring him to the table, and he wasn't ignoring her, it was the illness. So that was a relief to her. So there's so many misconceptions and misunderstandings that can make it harder for the caregiver because they don't always know what's going on.
1: We have three little kids, and what you described is what happens all the time. Hey, dinner's ready. Reagan, Carter, Kennedy, come to dinner.
3: <laughs> and if your kids don't come, it doesn't mean they don't love you.
1: Obviously, but thank you for that reinforcement. I appreciate it. As you look at the medications, and we've got about two minutes left, as you look at the medications that are out there, uh, the ones that are on the market now, uh, I'm told you know have some effect, but not a whole lot. Uh, are you encouraged that more of these drugs are coming?
3: Oh, there are many, many drugs you know that are getting ready to come to market that hopefully will be better than the ones that we have now. And yes, there's there's hope. There's definitely hope. I don't know that there's as we said that cure out there but i think we can do a lot better with the medication.
1: You're asking for a 76 year old friend who's worried about it.
3: <laughs> uh, i'm <kidding. laughs> but i'm confident i'm confident we're going to have much better medications. Tell and us, maybe similar to treatment in cancer, you know, the sure. slow incremental improvement.
1: Tell us a little about a little bit about Florida Atlantic University uh, Not a lot of folks up here are necessarily familiar with it.
3: Well, Florida Atlantic University is part of the state university system in Florida, and we're located in Boca Raton, which is right on the ocean, and it's between West Palm Beach and Fort Lauderdale. So it's a wonderful setting, and uh, we have a beautiful campus. And the College of Nursing is uh, over 30 years old, And many, many nurses have graduated both, um, you know, brand new RNs, as well as nurses with master's degrees and doctoral degrees. And we have a philosophy of caring at our College of Nursing. We base all that we do, including our teaching and our research and even the way that we treat one another, based on our philosophy of caring. So we believe in the power of compassion and you know being authentic and all of those wonderful things even our building is reflective I think of our our philosophy it's a beautiful building with um, beautiful garden in the middle for people to relax and meditate we have a meditation room we have a yoga room <laughs> And so all of that is consistent, and it's a very nice place to be. You talk about getting up to go to work. It's a very nice place to get up and go to work, too.
1: Well, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for coming on with us. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope we have a chance to talk with you again down the road.
3: Well, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it.
1: You take care. Dr. Christine Williams, I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Tina Smith, who has been filling in today uh, for Carol Zerniel. Up next, take 10. With Rundy Purdy right here at 9:30 a.m. The answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to Well Med Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host Cora Juke is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
4: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
1: And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
4: Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
1: Nurse practitioner at Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The answer, be there. Well, we really appreciate you sticking with us through Caregiver SOS on air. And at the end of each of one of our Caregiver SOS on our programs, we bring you Take 10. And Rundy Purdy joins us today as our very special guest and author and works in an assisted living center and also cared for his grandfather who had dementia and his grandmother as well. Uh, Tina Smith filling in for Carol Zernial today. And, and Rundy, one of the things that we wanted to talk with you about are the challenges Uh, that families face uh, in caring for someone with dementia that ultimately leads to the point uh, where they're faced with a decision uh, to put them into either assisted living or or into a nursing home.
5: Yeah, that's kind of like the whole big picture of walking with a mom and dad in the latter years of their life. They start out healthy, able to take care of themselves 100%, but then we have this incremental journey from totally independent to needing help. Um, where I currently work, at one of the facilities of the heart. They have them in multiple states. But in my facility, we have three tiers of care. We have independent living, we have assisted living, and then we have dementia memory care. So if mom or dad is still able to get around by themselves, but you want someone to check in on them every day in case they fall or have some issue, you can put them in to independent living. Someone can stop by and check on them, but they are able to live in their own little apartment as if they would almost in an apartment complex. And then, okay, they're progressing a little bit. They don't have a really great memory, and they need somebody else to make sure they get their, their pills on time. Then they go over to Enriched to our assisted living, and somebody will make sure they get their morning and evening pills and maybe check on make sure they get the showers. Okay, now mom or dad is progressing, and the people at our facility can check and kind of give the family members an idea of how mom or dad is progressing. And they get to the point where they need more care than that, then we say, well, okay, um, mom or dad needs to move on to dementia care, to a, a memory-enriched wing of our facility. And there we have somebody make sure they get they eat their meals, make sure they get their showers, make sure they get their medicines on time and they won't go wandering off. So then they move over to our, uh, our secure, the doors are all alarmed, our secure memory wing. And there we make sure that they get three meals a day, snacks between the meals in case they're not eating well, make sure they get their showers, make sure they're getting all the exercise they need. And that way, a family member who knows mom needs help, but as I said, they live three states away, and they can't be there to care for mom or dad uh, 24 hours a day, then in this dementia wing, they can make sure they get all the care they, they need and that they're, they're getting the food they need and they're getting the cleaning and the bathing they need. And that kind of highlights where family members first really know something is wrong. And so they come to visit mom or dad and see that they're not clean or they're getting kind of gaunt and they're not well fed or God forbid that they find out that mom or dad has fallen and hurt themselves. And that is really where we see the dementia care and family members really hitting the hard part, is when you realize, hey, mom can't do her own activities of daily living anymore. She can't take a bath, and she doesn't know how to cook her food anymore. What are we going to do? And that's when you start looking at assisted
2: living. Yeah, with with dementia, it's, it, of course, that's an umbrella term. There are so many different types of dementia out there, but it's often it's they often have the disease long before they're actually diagnosed, and so there's little things that the family may see. Especially, it's it's, di- it's especially difficult for the the long distance caregivers who don't necessarily see the caregivers on a, a regular basis. What advice would you give to families who may start to question and kind of wonder? is something going on or is this just a, a natural part of aging or is there more to it is there you know? what
1: would be some of the things you might see
5: okay um well let's start with what you might snow you might come and visit mom and see she snows not so good anymore that's a good that's a good clue or you might come over and see that the dishes haven't been done in a long time there's mold going on dishes in the sink that's not like mom that's that's a Another good sign. Or you go over and you see the is full of outdated food. Or you find out that mom has clothes scattered all over the house. Basically, any normal part of life that you know your mother or your father keeps up with and you come and visit them and it no, no longer is happening. Bills aren't being paid. All those different things. Those are all signs that something's changing and they need more help.
2: So what should a caregiver yeah. do when they notice that? Those, when they start to notice those signs, what steps should a caregiver take at that point?
5: Uh, the number one step is you should take them to see their primary care doctor and have them evaluated by a medical person. Um, sometimes there could be some other ailment going on. If they, For example, if they have cancer and are ill and do not have their normal energy, they could not be doing normal things not because of mental decline but because of the simple physical decline. So you want to make sure you got the right diagnosis for the right disease so they get the right kind of care. But they go to see their, their doctor and they have they do the test and yes it is a progression of dementia, then it's time to talk with the doctor and say, okay, um, how far along are they? Do they need just a little bit of help help in the house? Just have them, uh, have a house cleaner come in, do dishes and laundry, or are we to a place where they need more care than that? But definitely, as soon as you see something wrong with your mom or your dad, take them to their doctor and make sure you have a diagnosis of what is wrong with them.
1: And. In your own case, I'm curious, you made the decision uh, to care for your grandfather uh, even through a period that had to be very challenging and very difficult for you. Why did you do that?
5: Um, I wish I could give you a really fancy answer, but the short answer is because I felt it was the right thing to do. I was in a place in my life where I was young and independent, and I wanted my grandfather to have the opportunity to live out the rest of his life at home. Since I was able to do that, I said, okay, I'm going to give him that gift. Um, But a lot of people can't. They're not young and independent. They have family. They have job responsibilities. And that's where we have to provide resources where somebody who can't stay at home has an opportunity to make sure their loved one gets the best care possible wherever they're going to to live.
1: And what resources did you go to uh, so that you became knowledgeable and educated? Because when you began that journey, as I recall, uh, you had no idea how to care for someone.
5: Yeah. Uh, a lot of it for me was just watching my grandfather and just learning what his particular needs are. I did read uh, like a memoir somebody else wrote about caring for their their dad who had the disease. And so just by reading some of the story, I got a good idea of what was ahead and kind of how the person would act in the disease. Um, occasionally I read some stuff online, but for me, I think it's crucial, whoever you are, to see your loved one and kind of get a sense of who they as individual, what they need. Um I advise everybody to look and to listen and to learn what their loved one needs in their dementia journey.
1: Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel. Rundy Purdy is with us on our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline, and he's filling in today for Dr. Jamie Heisman. Uh, Rundy, if if you realized the challenges and the difficulty uh, that caring for your grandfather uh, was... uh, going to become from the very beginning, uh, would you have still done it?
5: Absolutely. I think anything that is done out of love reaches a great reward in our lives. It may not make us rich or famous, but as far as what it does to enrich us as individuals and give us a better understanding of how life ought to be lived and what is valuable in life, I advise anybody, if you can do something for another person out of love, not just obligation or guilt, but out of love, it will have great benefit in your life. And so, yes, it was hard. Yes, there's hard things I'll never forget in caring for my grandfather. But ultimately, I loved him, and I went that journey with him because I loved him, and that has brought forth great good in my life and all the relationships I have with other people. So, yes, I would do it again in a heartbeat.
2: What kind of advice would you have for caregivers who are on, find themselves on this journey and who do love the person and who do want to care for them but just sometimes find themselves in over their heads, just find themselves completely overwhelmed? What kind of advice would you give to them?
5: Well, uh, first is that loving someone sometimes means recognizing that you can't do everything yourself. And so sometimes the best thing to do if you love someone is finding the best help they can have through the hands of somebody else. Sometimes that's your step is to say, I'm going to make sure you get the help you need because I can't do it. It's not about trying to be Superman and doing it all yourself. It's about recognizing where the best help for your loved one can come from. Sometimes that's yourself. Sometimes that's recognizing it can't be you. So I don't think anybody should go on a guilt journey that they couldn't do it themselves. It's about recognizing the needs and making sure they get the care where it can can be best provided.
1: That's really good advice in the 20 or 30 seconds, uh, We have, which is not a lot of time. What haven't we talked about that you'd like to toss in?
5: Um, To uh, always have somebody there you can bounce off your struggles with. You shouldn't have your loved one and yourself being the only people going through this journey. Make sure you have somebody you can talk to. If it's at my assisted living facility, the residents can talk to us, the nurses. But if you're caring for someone at home, make sure you have a friend, a loved one who you can talk to.
1: Randy Purdy, thank you. We appreciate it. Take 10. I'm Ron Aaron along with Tina Smith. You're listening to us on 930 AM, The Answer.
0: You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.